Well, despite the obvious setbacks and sadnesses and suffering of 2020, uh, the tears over government tears, the frustrations over plans changing uh, yet again, there have been occasional positives and chinks of light in the darkness, and one of them, uh, for me personally, and, and maybe for you, uh, was the release of the musical Hamilton on the Disney Plus channel, meaning that those of us who'd failed to secure a ticket to its sold-out performances in the theatre could watch it on the small screen. And Hamilton, of course, tells the story of America's forgotten founding father, Alexander Hamilton. And it has many uh, catchy and memorable songs, and one that's stuck in my mind and become a real earworm is The Room Where It Happens. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to uh, sing, or worse, try to rap. Uh, but um, <clears throat> he sings, uh, well, the, the future Vice President, Aaron Burr, sings, I want to be in the room where it happens. Aaron Burr in, is uh, Alexander Hamilton's nemesis. He's looking on jealously as political decisions are made behind closed doors. No one really knows how the game is played, the art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. We just assume that it happens, but no one else is in the room where it happens. Burr's extreme jealousy and his lust for power for himself leads him famously in the end to kill Alexander Hamilton in a duel. Now that's not a spoiler, uh, the musical is really about how they get to that point. But there is something there that every human being at some point can empathise with. The feeling of being on the outside, the feeling of being left out especially situations where the decision being made in the room affects us personally. Maybe we don't envy the politicians who have to make huge decisions behind closed doors about tier four restrictions or trade deals and other things, but it's, it's hard at times not to want to be in the room where it happens, to know what's really going on among those who seem to hold so much power over our lives. Well, in one of the readings that we heard earlier, Luke, the gospel writer, takes us right into the room where it happens. We get to see the moment when God, the Son, enters the world as a man, just as God had promised, keeping his promises to send a saviour to his people for the human race. And it happens in a room. Now, from the outset, it's clear, looking on, no one would have concluded this could ever be called the room where it happens. Every civilization has its great and obvious centres of power, and Luke, the Gospel writer, is very careful to mention these powers as he sets out his account of the birth of Jesus. Each of the first three chapters of Luke's Gospel, his book, begins with the mention of a great power of the day. In chapter 1, it's Herod, king of Judea. In uh, chapter 2, it's Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor. There is no one more powerful than him in the world. In chapter 3, it's another Caesar, along with Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, Herod again, his brother Philip, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. Do you know who Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, was? Neither do I. Neither does anyone, in fact in the modern era. In fact, nothing is known about him by historians other than that he is mentioned here in Luke chapter 3. You can imagine Lysanias was incredibly important and had flunkies around him who assured him, your name will live forever, sire. 
Well, it turns out that indeed was the case, but only because he, along with these more famous historical characters, were just the sideshow, the context, to remind Luke's readers that he's talking about historical events. He mentions these characters by name each time, but very quickly he moves on. He's saying, you may have heard of these people, but that is not where the action is. The room where it happens is a room where the animals slept in a random town a few miles away from the capital Jerusalem, which is where the power and the action was. And they are there, Luke tells us, because actually there was no room where they might expect to sleep as visitors to their hometown for the census that had been called. No room, so they end up bedding down with the animals. And a tiny baby is born, and they wrap him and they place him in a feeding trough. Now, a few years ago, um, Greg's caused some controversy by basing their Christmas advertising on a picture of a nativity scene where Jesus had been replaced by a sausage roll. And in one sense, this was slightly childish, and it did provoke a fair amount of uh, criticism, but maybe the shocked response from many pointed to how we've forgotten how out of place and strange it would have seemed to see a baby called a king and a saviour sleeping in an animal feeding trough. You know, forget the sausage roll. What an astonishing picture to have God as a baby in a manger. Surely this can't be the room where it happens. But this baby, Luke has already told his readers, is the promised saviour of the world. How could this tiny, weak baby save anybody? In the 21st century, the idea that anyone might need to be saved is not a particularly popular one. The Tesco Christmas advert reassured us, this year there is no naughty list. You don't need to feel guilty. You know, give yourself a break after a difficult year. Now, this was swiftly followed by a backlash on Twitter from parents saying, well, you know, without the naughty list, we've got no way of keeping control of our children. Well, make of that what you will. But actually, the whole concept of the Christmas naughty list implies there are good people and bad people and do enough and you can work your way off the naughty list onto the good list, you can save yourself. And yet actually we don't have to look all that far to know for sure the problems facing mankind go far deeper than putting a few naughty people on the naughty list. 2020 has shown us yet again this world desperately needs justice. When we think of the rage and fury that surrounded the death of George Floyd, the sense that the opposite of justice had been done to him and to so many people of colour. Every human being has needed to examine our own hearts to see what hidden, hurtful attitudes might lie within. And, and beyond that, that the sad and shocking reality of lockdown is that domestic violence increased significantly. So did the calls to divorce lawyers. So did the calls on the food banks, even on our doorstep in NW3. And even if we've kept an outward show of respectability, 
could any of us point to our own actions and attitudes as being entirely pure and selfless? There's a brokenness to the world and to our own hearts, if we're honest. And, and with that announcement to the shepherds, the angel puts his finger on what human beings really need in 2020 as he announces a saviour, not from a virus, but from sin itself. Because our actions and attitudes reveal a problem of rebellion between us and the God who made us. For this we need a saviour. And that is what we find in the room where it happens. God who's been deeply wounded by our sin and rebellion against him. He chooses not to remain immune from that sin and its consequences. He chooses, he chooses not to give us simply what we deserve as a human race for our actions. He chooses to come and get involved in the mess and the pain and the suffering and the consequences of human sin. The incarnation, as Christians call it, God becoming a man, it points us to a glorious truth that God extraordinarily is on the side of the sinners who have rejected him. He's come to save those who are too weak and powerless to save ourselves. He has joined us in that weakness and then he's grown up to be a man who continued in that apparent weakness, known not for fighting back but for turning the other cheek, practicing what he preached and then dying a criminal's death in weakness on a Roman cross. Today we assume human beings have always wanted to care for the weak and maybe we just cannot understand when we don't see that happening. We live in a world where standing up for the powerless isn't exactly a new idea but we know it always doesn't happen. It, it, it sort of seems that it, on some level, it's sort of obvious that it ought to. But where did we get that idea from? We can say for certain that we didn't get it from the Caesars, from the Romans, from the ancient world. Julius Caesar himself was said to have killed a million Gauls and enslaved a million more. Weakness in that world was something to be exploited and rejected. Unwanted infants were routinely exposed and left out on hillsides to die. That is the world into which Jesus was born. There was no notion of giving yourself up for others. There was no notion that those who are weak or powerless have any intrinsic value whatsoever. We didn't get it from that ancient world, nor did we first get the notion of the value of the weak and the powerless from the Enlightenment, or indeed from the heroic workers of the NHS even, or even from Marcus Rashford. We got it, in fact, first of all, from Christianity, from the God who gave up his power to enter the world as a powerless, weak, dependent baby. The Christian account of Jesus Christ shows us that we know it's right to serve the weak because God in Jesus Christ did serve the weak. And he did that precisely because this is not how human beings naturally treat one another. And it's not how we naturally treat the God who made us. He did that in order to be our saviour. And today we are still people in need of 
a saviour. And today it's as if the angel says afresh to us, a saviour has been born for you. St John's Downshire Hill is a church made up of people who've discovered that truth for ourselves, as well as those who are still looking into that. A Christian is simply someone who realises, I can't do this by myself, I need a saviour, I need Jesus. A Christian is someone who then trusts Jesus and orients their life around him. So this Christmas, come with the shepherds to see this thing that has happened. That's what they did as the reading ended. They headed off to see the child. We have that same opportunity this Christmas. We'd love to help you with that at St John's Downshire Hill. If you've not yet seen what it means to trust in Jesus. We're here on Sundays in the building and online normally at 10.30 in the morning and 6pm. Next term in, in January... We'll be running a four-week course on Tuesday evenings on Zoom, looking at what it means to trust and follow this Saviour. Plenty of opportunities to ask questions and to ponder and to think. It's a course called Essentials, and you can see it on the back of the order of service. Luke has shown us the room where it happens. The room where the powerless and the weak find a voice who will speak for them. The room where sinners find a saviour who will die for them. So come and marvel at this saviour this Christmas. Amen.